When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. 20 seconds to go. Wrist shot, save Talbot. Rebound, top of the blue paint. Wrist shot, Martinez, save Talbot. Kopitar bangs it off the back of the net. 12 seconds, wrist shot, Martinez. Save made by Cam Talbot. And here come the Oilers, 2-1-1 to win it. McDavid in for the left-hand side. Dry subtle waits. There's the center pass. What timers Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. The Penguins parade away with the cup once again. Two in a row. Five all time equaling the Edmonton Oilers cup winning total. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Inside Sports on 630. Chad, my name is Reed Wilkins. Hey, I just want to let you know, one hour from now, this is going to be really cool. Edmonton Oilers defenseman Matthew Benning, who I know a lot of you uh, fell in love with this past season, will be in studio to kick off Father's Day week with his dad, Brian Benning, who played in the NHL himself, including a stint with the Oilers, and... Matt's sister, Abby Benning, from the U of A Pandas hockey team. They're all going to be here uh, chatting about uh, being a hockey family and uh, Matt's first year in the NHL, all that fun stuff. That's coming up between 7 and 8 tonight. You can always reach me here on Inside Sports by texting 630-630. I, I do want to see if you got some things on your brain because I got some things on, on my brain, some kind of random thoughts I'll go through in the... Uh, well, maybe not random, so, some... Some disorganized snippets of ideas. Let's call it that in the first half hour of the show. So you can text 630-630. We do have some open line time, 780-496-0063. The Eskimos getting at it last night. Uh, pretty entertaining preseason game. A lot of offense, almost 1,000 yards total offense between Edmonton and Calgary. I think some encouraging signs for the green and gold. I do think uh, the secondary remains a bit of a concern, especially with some uh, injuries. Uh, I mean, Hightower uh, didn't play. Marcel Young went out of the game. Johnny Adams went out of the game. The Eskimos didn't practice today, by the way, so we'll maybe get some further updates on them tomorrow. But they're right back at it. On uh, Thursday already, game against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. What do we got for that one, Warren? 5 o'clock pregame, 6.30 kickoff against the Blue Bombers here on 6.30. Chad David Morley will be uh, heading to Winnipeg for that game, which, uh, by the way, not televised. So you're going to have to listen to it on 6.30, Chad, to follow along with with the Eskimos. TSN doesn't televise all the preseason games. So, and I was just talking about this with Jalen and Andrew. And I, does anybody out there? And, and look, I'm sure if you're listening to the show, you have at least some interest in hockey. Being a Canadian sports fan, I'm going to make a wild guess there. But does anybody feel like okay, good, it's it's done? As, as thrilling as a game seven would have been, were, were you ready for the NHL season? I mean, it is a long season for the Predators and uh, the Penguins. Like nine months since the start of training camp. 
not, usually camp starts September 15th. Some guys played in the World Cup of Hockey. Uh, now, it would have been great to have the Oilers go in this deep. I don't know if they're going to shorten it. I mean, speaking of, of dads, I was, t- I was talking to my dad last night who uh, would have started following hockey when there were just six teams in the league, and they were probably playing a 60-game regular season, 70 games when my dad was a kid, with then two, just two rounds of playoffs, so it didn't go nearly as deep. But could, I mean, could he get shaved a week off even? Or could we get it done in May so it doesn't go into... I mean, I think ideally they shorten the regular season. I don't know if they're ever going down to 70 games or 76 games. I don't think that's ever happening because you'd have to give up home dates. Though, I personally, I think that would be ideal. Could we cut the regular season down to 70 games and then still have the same playoff structure? I, I, it's, it's not going to happen. I know I'm dreaming. Or, or maybe, here's an idea, maybe they just go, go the other way and just you know, keep building the games around. Like maybe. Warren, what do you think of this? What do, you, what do you think of this? You could schedule a Stanley Cup final game the, the same weekend as the NHL draft, and you could really milk it, right? So you could have the Friday night, the first round of the NHL draft. You could have the first period before the first round. Then you could do the first round of the draft during the first intermission. Then play the second period after the tr- first round of the draft. And then the next morning, you do rounds two through seven and then have the third period of the game after the draft. I mean, maybe, the, maybe they should just milk it. right? And, and then you could have a g- games, maybe game seven of the Stanley Cup final could be July 1st, same day as free agency. So you could be announcing free agents in the game, joining another team for next year as that game is in progress. I mean, just milk it. Make it all made for TV. I mean, we got a listener, Sirius Gord, who thinks there should only be four days a year that teams are allowed to make trades and they have to all go to a centralized location and sit at tables and you can't text or phone. You have to get up and walk to each other and it's all televised so it builds drama. I mean, isn't that the age where... I mean, heck, we got we got video review that doesn't seem to work. We, we got the whistle going on... Our goals that should count, hey Nashville. Why, why, why can't why can't we uh, why can't we play? Uh, <laughs> why can't why, why can't we have the stand, game seven of the Stanley Cup final while free agent signings are being announced on Canada Day? Would players playing in the final game? <laughs> be able to also be free agents and being signed? Absolutely, call? but you'd have to finish the game for your team. Okay, so you can't be in the second period, sign a seven-year, seven-and-a-half-million contract with another team. Well, they could announce it, but you'd still finish that. You, you could negotiate, yeah, because there's the five-day negotiation window. So you could be negotiating. That's what they, they do that in Europe. There are actually guys finishing seasons with teams who have already signed for another team the next year, and they know it, and it's publicly, and it's announced. Uh, Trent says uh, <laughs> the finals never in May because May is sweeps month. Trent, uh, apparently, I didn't know this, Trent, an American television executive. (laughs) Trent, NBC, CBS, Fox, who are you working for? ESPN, maybe? (laughs) Uh, It it does feel long. It would have been great to have the Oilers playing for this long or maybe even a a Canadian team. There's another one of my random thoughts that aren't really developed, but the Ottawa Senators, one shot away from beating Pittsburgh. And, you know, Todd McClellan has talked about it. A lot of coaches talk about it having, well, I mean, obviously you want a positive goal differential. The Ottawa Senators minus two goal differential in the regular season. Only playoff team 
that allowed more goals than they scored in the regular season and uh, wind up being, well, they would have been one of the final three teams alive because Nashville beat Anaheim in six. And game seven, I mean, they wouldn't go away in that game seven against the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins. So anyway, there's another one of my my random thoughts. I was also thinking, and I know this has been a discussion point uh, on, on uh, in the sports world today, certainly in the hockey world, and you can text 630-630. And my buddy uh, texted me right after the game last night, and he says... Uh, Sidney Crosby, one of the top five players of all time. My initial response was no, because I I generally like to wait for guys to retire till I put them that high. Here's the interesting thing. I would think that regardless of your team affiliation, I, I would think there's a consensus on the top four hockey players of all time, Gretzky or Lemieux and Howe. People might put them in different orders, but I think that would be a consensus top four. So here's my question to you. Who's the fifth greatest hockey player of all time? Is it Maurice Richard? Is it Sidney Crosby? Is it Guy Lafleur? Is it Marc Messier? Is it Dominic Hasek? Is it Martin Brodeur? Is it Nicholas Lidstrom? I, I think that's really interesting. Who, who's number five? Because I, th- I think the top, I don't want to say the top four is easy, but I, I think you could get a lot of people to agree on that top four. Gretzky or Lemieux and Howe. And, and I, I assume you could, you could debate the order. Now, the interesting thing, too, is there, we got a lot of people who never saw Gordie Howe play, at least not in his prime. I mean, I guess I saw him play in the WHA when he was in his late 40s and early 50s, but uh, a lot of us never saw Gordie Howe. So now we're starting to go off infirm. I mean, heck, I'm not even I'm not even old enough to have seen Bobby Orr play. I was born in 1974, so if I did see him play, I don't remember it, and he, you know, would, would have been past his prime. But I would think you could say Gretzky or Lemieux and Howe. Who's five? Is Crosby already number five? I don't. Th- Here's the thing. My instinct says no. I wouldn't put him there, but I'm not positive on who I would put in there. Now the game has changed. The era has changed. We had more goals in the '80s. We got into the late '90s. Goaltenders took over. I mean, Connor McDavid just led the NHL in scoring with 100 points. Wayne Gretzky had seasons of over 200 points. Mario Lemieux had 199. Uh, Maurice Richard would have played a lot fewer games. I mean, when he got, when Maurice Richard got 50 goals in 50 games, that was the whole season. He only had 50 games to get get to 50. We can only judge a guy by how dominant he was as compared to the competition of his era. So maybe I'd be tempted to put Richard at number five. We got a quick vote coming in here for Mike Bossy, the best scorer of all time. See, I don't agree with that. I think Mario Lemieux is the best goal scorer of all time just because of how dangerous he was. That's the fun debate, right? Uh, Nick from uh, the Nickster from Pigeon Lake says, beauty idea, Reed. Game seven on July 1st. I'm sure Gary Bettman would love that idea. (laughs) Uh, Dave says, shorten the preseason and start the regular season the last week of September instead of the second week of October. I don't mind that idea. I mean, here's the, here's the thing. The preseason used to be 11 games. It's now eight. If it went down to five or six, would fans really care? Would players care? Coaches maybe because they want to evaluate guys. Uh, maybe bubble guys might be like, oh, I wish I had an extra game. But you would think if a guy was going to be noticed, he'd eventually be noticed. So maybe he joins his team game seven into the regular season instead of right at the start. 
Uh, this texter says, you're crazy. Maybe 15th for Crosby. Well, hold on. First of all, I'm crazy for several reasons, but not for suggesting that Crosby's in the top five debate. Crosby's got to be top 10 all time, I would think, even, even though he's still playing. Uh, Derek from Lloyd, Marty Brodeur. Couple votes for Mark Messier, which doesn't surprise me in this ear in this town. Great player. Somebody texted in Mark Messier with six cups. Okay, but here's here's my counter argument to that. Chris Kunitz, four cups. Does that elevate him on one of the greatest players of all time? No, I'm serious. Like Stanley Cup victories alone, I don't think should be an argument. Because there are some pretty middling players who have won several cups. Kunitz, good player. He scored a lot of goals. I also think he's a bit of a right place, right time guy. Six seventeen. We got Jared coming up on the phone line. Inside Sports on Chet. This is a Darius Bowman from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on six thirty. Chad. Speaking of Eskimos receivers, how about that Duke Williams last night? Man, quite a game. Had another long touchdown called off. Got that 90-yard pass for a TD from Zach Klein. We'll talk more about the green and gold with Blake Dermott as we move along tonight. You can text 630-630. Slavin Smokey says, Justin Schultz, two cups. Ray Bork, one. Come on, cups don't count when you're using that to judge greatest players. Yeah, I mean, I think cups, I think playoff success, a performance in clutch situations or you know important situations is a factor but I don't think you can just point at cups and say that alone uh, affects where a guy is ranked few people texting in that point about uh, Justin Schultz uh, Murr the Flames fan says Mark Messier fifth best player of all time And we just got a text coming in simply saying the NHL refs were terrible in the playoffs. They were pro-USA. 780-496-0063. Jared is on the phone line. Jared, I hope you have been well. Good. How are you, Reed? Doing very well. I just got a comment on the fifth greatest player, and I I never saw Bobby or Gordie Howe, but the best player I ever uh, saw play was, was Mark Messier. And I remember... There was a game I went to. It was in October of 88 or 89, and the Oilers won 8-5 or 8-6. And this is when Gretzky was with L.A. And that night, I believe Messi got a hat trick. And you saw his speed and just the, the meanness and the intimidation. It was, like, it was like Gretzky didn't even belong on the same ice as him. And when the Oilers won their first Stanley Cup in 84, he was the con Smythe winner. That's right. And Al, Al Arbor said... The key to stopping the Oilers was not Wayne Gretzky, was stopping Mark Messier. And he, and he broke the Islanders back with his physical play. There's the one game he got two goals when he burned Thomas Janssen on, on that beautiful goal. And also the fact that in 94, he was able to still be very instrumental in winning the Stanley Cup. But I, with that speed and the ability to play it any way, I don't think Gretzky or Lemieux could be put in that same category. And I think that if you were to ask a lot of the NHLers, he, Messi would be the toughest guy to play against. And that's why he was, that game in 88, 89, whatever it was, that's tattooed in my mind. I've never seen anything like that. First on the forecheck, first on the back check. He goes into the corner, there's two, three guys laying on the ice, and he, he dominated. It was incredible. Well, you make a great point, and that's the the beautiful thing about hockey is is it has that... 
And, and all sports do. It might be more pronounced in hockey and even playoff hockey. There's an element to the game that doesn't show up on the score sheet. And I, and I think of all the guys that you we talk about as top five or top ten potential guys, you know, Messier probably, well, I mean, how, and again, we didn't see how, but he was known for being pretty mean when he had to be, right? So maybe Messier was, maybe Messier is more similar to how than anybody else in the top ten. Yeah, because, I, I mean, we have a lot of, uh, my dad taped a lot of games on VHS, and we put them on DVD. <laughs> nice. And the level of, like, violence from Messi in some of those games is incredible. Like, like vicious, like, outright. Like, he, he had, like, Calgary Flames running scared. I remember one time Jim Plapinski just turtled on him. There were times Lanny McDonald, and, and there's that element to him that none of those guys have, and the speed with the elbows and everything, like, Nobody in the NHL, like Sidney Crosby, doesn't even come close to that. But the longevity with Messier and the, the hand skills matching the brain and everything like that, I don't, think, I don't think anybody can touch him. And I think if you say, who would you want in a Game 7 to play on oh, your team? That's an interesting point. There's only one guy. And if it was it going to be violent, it's a penalty killer. He's one of the most lethal penalty killers in history. And, uh, you know, I don't take nothing away from Wayne or Marilyn Mew because they're fantastic, but... Hockey is still a very violent, dirty game, and, and uh, Messier was the guy who could, could do it all. Well, you make a great point, and, uh, you know, that's that he had that element that, I mean, he could obviously score, but it was that extra element that you always knew when he was out there. I mean, I was just jotting down, you know, Messier, other guys who would be in the top 10 or 15, Messier, Lafleur, Richard, I, I Lidstrom would be. I mean, is Lidstrom the best defenseman of all time? I, mean, I, I would. He didn't would get the most points, been, but yeah. I mean, the best I ever saw was was Paul Coffey when he wanted to play. I mean, he he could bend the game to his own will. Nicholas Lidstrom couldn't do that. Paul but, Coffey could the puck and go end to end. But would Lidstrom not have been a better pure defender though? Right, if you're talking all around. Yeah, but he didn't have the talent Paul Coffey had, not even close. Like, in terms of, like, the skating and everything, Paul Coffey is one of the most talented players in history. Like, not many guys. Like, when he was playing with Lidstrom, I mean, that was the guy that taught him was Paul Coffey, and Paul Coffey won the Norris, what, 95? So, Paul Coffey's got the longevity, too. It's just sometimes, like, Lance Sather, he wants to play. He doesn't want to play. But, I mean, he's, he's a sensational defenseman. But... Then again, you say people say, "Well, he's not a pure defender, right? He's he's more of an offensive man." Yeah, exactly. So, but uh, yeah. but he was tremendous as well. I'd say it's a fun debate, Jared. Thanks for listening tonight. Thanks, Reed. Have a good night. That's Jared seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. This <laughs> this texter says, uh, "Reed, if there was an award for the biggest whiner and the player who gets away with cheap shots, my vote is Sidney Crosby." <laughs> Uh, well, certainly him uh, pushing Subban's head into the ice several times. Uh, what was that in Game Five? That got a, a lot of attention. But I mean, Crosby has a little bit of that edge to him, right? And uh, yeah, he can yap a little bit. All right, seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. You can text six thirty six thirty. Matthew Benning from the Edmonton Oilers in studio with his dad and his sister between seven and eight tonight. A little more hockey talk, and Blake Dermott breaks down the Eskimos. One point loss to Calgary, all coming up inside sports on Eskimos Radio, 630 Chet. 
this is Jordan Eberle from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. And finds it. The Schultz, he's got a chance. Wristing one, missing the net. On the rebound. Beckwith have scored on the rebound from behind the net. They have put it in. And Patrick Hornquist put it in off Rene, and the Penguins have a 1 0 lead. Oh, he is smiling like a butcher's dog. Threw it by the near side and by Subban and back towards the zone. Up with it is Hagelin. He goes to the net. Ducks it in. Carl Hagelin, the empty netter, and the Penguins have a 2 0 lead. And ladies and gentlemen, Elvis has just left the building. One second left to go. And the bucket of the car corner, and it's all over. The Pittsburgh Penguins have won the Stanley Cup as they have defeated the Nashville Predators here in Nashville 2-0. And you can tell your ma, you can tell your pa, I'm going to send you back to Arkansas. Stanley Cup champions 2017. The Pittsburgh Penguins. The big moments from Mike Lang on the Pittsburgh Penguins radio network. That was the call last night. 2 nothing. the final. Penguins win the Stanley Cup for the second year in a row. They have won uh, three Stanley Cups in the last nine seasons. I started thinking about parity in the NHL because that's, bi- that's the big buzzword, right? Well, you got to have parity. you got to have parity, right? You can't have the Yankees win every year. you got to have the Kansas City Royals win, right? You gotta have parity. The NFL has parity. Well, look how bad the uh, old St. Louis Rams were that one year. And then they, Kurt Warner, and then they won the next year. And remember how bad the New England Patriots were? Well, a lot of people can't even remember that. But you gotta have parity. And you gotta have a salary cap so you can have parity. That's the big thing. So I was like, what's the exact uh, definition of parity? The value of one currency in terms of another at an established exchange rate. Okay, maybe all the definitions of parity don't apply to sports. <laughs> uh, parity in sports. Teams have roughly equivalent levels of talent. That's what the internet tells me the definition of parity is as it relates to sports. Teams have roughly equivalent levels of talent. Well, when you have soon-to-be 31 teams in your league, uh, I guess you're going to have a pretty big soft middle. And I guess the the NHL NHL does have parity because uh, the standings are always pretty close. Helps that they give out points for losing games now, if you lose in overtime or a shootout. Having said that, the, the, the last nine Stanley Cup champions, four teams, three for Chicago, three for Pittsburgh, two for the LA Kings, one for Boston, and uh, don't forget, Chicago beat Boston in one of their Stanley Cups. So it was either going to be two for Boston or two for Chicago or three for Chicago and one for Boston. Um, I mean, to me, to me, parity would be that it's, it's often a different, you know, matchup deep, deep into the playoffs, right? Well, I mean, I guess Nashville hadn't been there before. They were the 16th team out of the playoffs. So I guess that's evidence of parity, sure. You know, San Jose was in the Stanley Cup final last year. Had never been there before. Been a good team for a while, but they they finally got there. So, I, I guess that's parity. Um, you know, the Oilers were bad for ten years. Is that evidence of parity? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not saying that's the NHL's fault. It's just when there's only four teams winning this winning the championship in a, in a span of nine years. Is that really parity? 
I, I don't know if it is. There's certainly not parity in the NBA, which continues tonight with Game 5. Cleveland at Golden State. Tip-off's about half an hour away, and we'll keep you updated. I mean, the, the NBA the NBA is basically the history of the Los Angeles Lakers and the Boston Celtics. Let's face it. Now there's some other guys that have jumped in there. The NHL up until about... Well, the NHL really until 79-80 was the, the history of the Montreal Canadiens, the Toronto Maple Leafs, and a little bit of Detroit Red Wings. I mean, Chicago, Boston, and the New York Rangers were the also-rans for, for a lot of the time. Uh, so the NHL has added more teams. They've been able to spread the wealth around a little bit with uh, the draft, the draft lottery, the salary cap, free agency working the way it does, all that kind of stuff. But if we go back to the definition, teams have roughly equivalent levels of talent then the teams with the high-end talent should still be able to separate from that, and, and that's what has happened. What, once you, you have that talent and, you know, that whole phrase, knowing how to win, you figure out what it takes, you got the dedication, you got the, the players around the stars, then I still think even in a larger league that, yes, might have more parity in the regular season, I still think you're going to have teams rise to the top over and over again. I, 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 I they even think if they keep adding teams, you know, the star players are going to stay in one place. They're going to, I mean, here's the thing. Alexander Ovechkin and Sidney Crosby, regular seasons a lot of times, well, who's better? Why do we know Crosby is better? Because he's done much better in the playoffs and his teams have done better, right? So... His team keeps on winning. They often keep on beating Washington to get there. So I think I think parity exists. Um, I, I think it's somewhat artificial, especially with the, the loser point, giving out points for teams losing in the regular season. And at the championship level, I, I don't know if it actually exists. Because I think you're always maybe not maybe not always back to back champions, but I do think you'll have repeat champions in terms of looking back at an era maybe of twelve to fifteen years and saying, okay, that was the that was the time Chicago and Pittsburgh were good. And then if you look at before this started, you say, well, that was the era Detroit and New Jersey were good, right? Because from '94 to '08, 14 seasons, Detroit and New Jersey won half the cups. Four for Detroit, three for New Jersey. The era before that, well, that was the year the Oilers got five and the Islanders got four and Montreal and Pittsburgh got two each and some other Alberta team fluked out and got one in 1989. Right, so I still, I still, I don't think you're ever going to have a 10-year stretch with nine or 10 different champions. I, I just don't think that'll happen. So I don't know if I really buy into, well, we got parity in the league. Well, I don't know if there was true parity in the league, you'd, you'd more often have different champions. Just what I think. 780-496-0063. You can also text us at 630-630. Pretty good football game yesterday, despite being in the preseason. Blake Dermott with his thoughts when we get back. This is Mike Riley from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chet. Some other uh, notes today. 
Penguins goaltender Marc-Andre Fleury waived his no-movement clause. He will be uh, exposed to Vegas in the expansion draft. The protected lists will be announced at 8 a.m. Sunday. Vegas's team will be announced at the awards next Wednesday. Connor McDavid up for the Hart Trophy. Todd McClellan up for uh, Coach of the Year. Peter Shirelli up for GM of the year. The Senators have asked Dion Phaneuf to waive his no-move clause. The Panthers have hired Bob Bugner as their head coach. He was an assistant in San Jose the last two years. Uh, it was also cool to see the uh, the, the Conn Smythe voting. Eric Carlson, Senators defenseman, if they, of course, did not reach the Stanley Cup final, got one third-place vote. CFL note, Vince Young from the Rough Riders, torn hamstring out four to six weeks. I'm starting to have a feeling that he... Uh, will not play in the CFL regular season. We'll see. We'll see. I sounded negative there. I apologize. Eskimos fell by a point. Kind of a wild game last night. Brickfield at Commonwealth Stadium. Blake Dermott, former Eskimo, our in-game analyst here on 630. Chad, Blake, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Reed. Thanks a lot uh, for having me. Well, it's good to talk to you. We're rolling into another season of Eskimos football, so uh, so we're going to do this a lot. I, I think uh, some high hopes for the team this year, which will uh, touch on their performance last night in a pretty entertaining preseason game against Calgary. But, Blake, I want to I ask you something else first because uh, one of the stories for the Eskimos last week was uh, not one but two pretty feisty practices with teammates getting irritated with teammates and uh, Jason Moss got irritated with all of them after after one practice. Uh, I mean, you, you always went through the dry, the grind of training camp. Did you ever have a, an incident with someone else in green and gold, or how did that shake down for you? You know, I did uh, in 1988. I uh, uh, For whatever reason, it was a real long training camp, it seemed, and uh, it was... Uh, pretty physical and uh john mandrich and i had to see each other an awful lot in training camp we like we were one-on-ones we saw each other i was playing guard he was a nose tackle interior tackle guy and uh and something just happened it boiled over into uh, i i've been having a good good camp against john let's say and uh we came off, uh, uh, it was in team time, so it's right near the end of practice, and got everybody in, around, and, and uh, uh, I had a particularly decent block on John, and he punched me uh, in the head. And, uh, and it was really weird, because I didn't, I didn't really know how to react to it, because I thought John and I got along really well, right? But he, obviously he was frustrated, and this is kind of what you know, leads to what happened this week. I mean, you don't have to dislike a guy to, to be in that situation want to fight him. You just get really, really frustrated, or, or something happened. And so anyways, John punched me, and I sort of hesitated for a second, like, what? And, and I, I even looked away, and then I kind of went, you know, uh, I'm not taking it. And I turned around, and I punched him, and uh, I, with two hands sort of underneath his chin, and the next thing I know, he's on his back and I'm on top of him. And uh, it's right in the middle of the whole team. And about two seconds later, I get hit in the side of the head by somebody. And now I'm on the bottom and John's on the top. <laughs> <laughs> and then I just look. And all this whole thing was missing was chairs being broken over somebody's back and, you know, bottles being smashed. It looked like a, from the vantage point that I had, which was on my back looking up, it looked like just a, an old-fashioned Western saloon brawl. And it went on for quite a while. And, uh, and then they finally pulled everybody apart. And I, I forget who said this, but it reminded me of that old line that uh, 
that a, uh, uh, like a, an enforcer in the NHL said, you know, when somebody was asking him about fighting and do you think that five minutes is too long for a penalty for fighting? And the guy's response was, if you've ever been in one of them, you know, that's not enough time to, to have a penalty. <laughs> and, and so, you know, I got up off the ground and I was just exhausted and breathing hard. And of course your, your adrenaline is flying and, and, uh, and it was like, get back in there. And I was like, oh my God, you know. <laughs> I, I made it through the rest of the practice, but I don't. I don't think. I think it was kind of a blur because your heart is racing, and, and you know, and uh, it, it was it was something else. And then there was another one later on, uh, another time. But I wasn't the direct start of this thing like I was that one with John Madrich. And 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 I said, you know, John and I uh, got along quite well before and after the thing. We kind of laughed about it and uh, how how it started and how it went and. Uh, but it was just something that happened, and, and uh, so it's not surprising when you see those kinds of things happen in football. When you've got that many kinds of, you know, the conditions of 18 practices. So, as a, you know, you, in, in a normal football game or football season, you'll go maybe five practices before you hit somebody else. But now you're 18 times against the same guy. <laughs> right. You know, it's just. It's like a. It doesn't take them long. It takes two guys, two games usually for an NHL uh, uh, playoff series before they're starting to hate each other. Imagine eighteen practices like that, and and uh, that's what happened uh, to the Eskimos. And and uh, you know, a couple things came out of it. Obvious. Uh, uh, Coach Moss was concerned about their discipline. Last night, you saw seventeen penalties for one hundred thirty-five yards. Yeah. So he's got some. He's got some realistic concerns about that. But it is preseason. There's a lot of things to to. Uh, you know, to take into account that they've got to get better at, and one of them is their discipline. And, and uh, getting into a full-scale game with uh, games like speed and, uh, is going to help them get to where they need to be. Blake Dermott joining us inside sports on 630. Chad, breaking down the Edmonton Eskimos, who are going to play again right away on Thursday at Winnipeg, their second and final preseason game. I, I think one guy already who a lot of people, Blake, are saying to themselves, I wonder if he can stand out like that again, is uh, the receiver out of Auburn, Duke Williams. And, and, you know, he had some trouble in Auburn, obviously, and uh, was suspended and ultimately thrown off the team. And, and sometimes that's why big, talented like guys like that wind up in the Canadian Football League. But, uh, you know, a big play, another big play called back by penalty. And you, you wonder if this is going to be three years in a row, there's kind of a receiver, uh, you know, who has a chance to make a name for himself, like Walker and Zilster have the last couple of years. Yeah, he was uh, uh, certainly somebody that uh, seemed to come seemingly out of nowhere. But when when the Eskimo organization and, and the management bring a guy into camp, they got a pretty good book on the guy. And uh, when you look at the size, I think he was six. He's six three, about two hundred twenty pounds. He certainly got the size to be a dominant force in this league. He's uh, he runs about as fast as you need to run. <laughs> right. and, and he's a, he's he's. Uh, and and he, and he and he makes the big plays. Uh, so, um, yeah, they they may have found the guy that uh, that they you know you, you lose one you find another, and that's the nature of professional sports. You the next man up, and I, I think the Eskimos. Uh, you know, let's 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 you know he had four passes, or he, he had the most targets. I think he had six targets thrown at him last night. Caught four, three or four balls. One was called back, fifty yarder. Um, let's see if he can do that over a long period of time, over a course of. Uh, a few a few games because uh, that that'll really tell whether or not he's a, a true pro. But but by my first reports and first glance, he was uh, phenomenal. 
Yeah, for sure. Offensively in general, I mean, after about a quarter and a half, you saw a lot of depth guys come in on offense. So you got a few looks, four quarterbacks through at least the pass. Obviously, Zach Klein had the one long bomb to Williams. And Calgary's first team offense, by the way, Blake, looked really sharp. And that's obviously something that should continue from last year. But were you encouraged by what Edmonton did on offense overall, even when some of the backups were in? Well, yeah. When you, when you put up 550 yards, I don't care who's in there, you know, because that's we were talking about this last night on the broadcast. But when you've got a um, a number one quarterback with his number one offense, that's one thing. Now you get if you go through a, a series of uh, uh, the, the production that they needed to have, you get the number two guy going. You can't give him a realistic evaluation unless he's playing with some of those number ones. But there's going to be a lot, an awful lot of number twos because the number ones come out. And then when you get the number threes playing with the number threes, and so you don't have, you don't have, uh, in fairness to the quarterbacks that go in and or the receivers that go in, you're not always playing with a starter. That's not a realistic situation. You're going to be in a game if you're a, a first-year guy or even a, you know, somebody early in your career. You'll get into a game because one of the starters is gone. So you're playing with, you know, you would hope the majority of the number one guys. And so when you saw that kind of production, 554 yards, I mean, I think uh, Riley left with only completing something like 60 yards in passing. And so they added an awful lot of passing yards uh, after Riley was finished in the first quarter. And and that just tells you what kind of depth that they have. You know, they the depth that they have at, at, at all of their positions. I thought their offensive line did a really good job. Uh, you know, they had 12 offensive linemen that played. And, you know, you always get concerned when you have six go in the game because that means one of your starters is out. But when you have 12 offensive line and they gave the time that they did for the uh, for the quarterbacks to be able to throw the ball, uh, I think that was really positive. I thought that the Eskimos' defensive line, the defensive front, regardless of who was in there, did a really nice job against Ron. And, uh and, and, of course, you know it's an exhibition game. You, you want to try to see which quarterbacks can play. So they're probably going to have more of a pass emphasis. But I thought that the, the defensive front did, did a nice job of taking away the run. Uh, after Messam had a couple of, a couple of rushes early in the game, then they kind of settled down. It's, the thing that was shocking to me or the surprising to me was, and this is only based on how well this has been, uh, uh, how well they've played over the last couple of years, was the special teams. I thought mm-hmm. the special teams was, was poor. I thought, you know, right from putting Sean White in a situation where he's now handling all three of the kicking duties, and it's something he's done before, but it's been a while since he's done it, and uh, and I don't think he particularly excelled at any one thing. And uh, I, I don't know if he did did well at any one thing. He, or, uh, he just... Uh, he really looked like he struggled when you look at you give up a touchdown, which uh, is, is not necessarily his fault. But then his uh, his next punt is out of bounds, and he gets a 15-yard penalty. It's a 21-yarder plus a 15-yard penalty, so it ends up being about a six-yard net. Um, he misses a couple of he misses a convert, a couple of field goals. You know, it's like boy. And then the Eskimos lose by one point. So it, when you talk about positives, I know that's not the way Sean White's going to be this year. The, the guy doesn't go from the, you know it doesn't go from being the best kick, uh, kicker in the league to, to being a nobody. But uh, he's, they've got to be better in, the, in that part of their game. And if they are, then the Eskimos are truly going to be a really good team this year. Yeah, for sure. Well, Blake, it's going to be fun to watch and, and certainly some position battles still to keep an eye on uh, in the preseason game coming up on Thursday. Hey, man, it's going to be ha- great to have you on the show throughout the summer and into the fall here, hopefully a long run for the green and gold. We'll talk to you again soon, man. Thanks, Reed. Thanks a lot. 
Good stuff, Blake. Blake Dermott, our in-game analyst for our Eskimos broadcast here on 6.30. Chad, former offensive lineman for the Green... Quite a story about fighting John Mandrich. He compared it to a WWE bout, except the result was not predetermined. Uh, you can text 6.30, We were talking earlier about some of the greatest players of all time. Uh, I, I think the top four, Gretzky, Orr, Lemieux, and Howe. Then you can debate Sam G texting in. He goes, where are the Red Wings after Nicholas Lidstrom retired? They've been going downhill ever since. He should be somewhere up as one of the best defense players. But then again, I'm biased. I like the Red Wings. That is from Sam G. Uh, We're also talking about parity and getting a point for losing in overtime in a shootout. Here's a blunt text saying the loser point is so stupid. The only pro league in North America that rewards grown men for losing. Well, one of the grown men in the NHL is in studio. Oilers defenseman Matthew Benning with his dad, Brian, his sister, Abby. All coming up in the next hour of Inside Sports. going to be fun. Thanks for tuning in. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.